You're listening to the Go Global, Go Big podcast, powered by Globig. Hello, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. Today's hot topic is cybersecurity. It's a huge challenge for companies and governments and all of us around the world. Our guest today is Adam Anderson. He's the founder and CEO of Atlas Vault. Atlas Vault is an innovative company and it helps companies understand who their vendors are and what cybersecurity risks they're bringing into their organizations. Adam has over 10 years of experience running a successful cybersecurity company and he also wrote the book, Small Business Cybersecurity, Your Customers Can Trust You, right? Adam, welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for the invite. So um, I've been doing this entrepreneurial thing for, I guess, oh, I don't know, 13 or 14 years now. I launched or funded about 14 companies, and two of them are still around. So there's, there's the track record, right? Pretty decent uh, from a particular point of view. And it turns out the only thing I'm good at is cybersecurity. The whole uh, make knives for rock and roll kitchens that didn't work. Uh, the internet cafe didn't work just cybersecurity. So, uh, my wife told me I should just do what I'm good at. And that is all we're focusing on at this point is how do we help companies talk to each other in a safe way and build trust between companies. And that's what I'm really passionate about. <laughs> that's fantastic. I, I would assume that cybersecurity is a much more fascinating subject than some of the knives that you were talking about, too. So what exactly is cybersecurity and, and why is it such an important topic right now? Yeah, so cybersecurity, the term has gotten diluted over the last couple of years because when someone says cybersecurity, it can mean so many different things. It's just, uh, it's like almost saying cloud computing now. People are like, well, that's a catchphrase and that's nice. So I try to simplify it down to cybersecurity is all about the data. What is important data that you are dealing with um, inside of your systems? And you have to think about it in three ways. Data at rest, data in flight, and data being consumed. So where is my intellectual capital and my important stuff living? How does it go through the internet or through the ether to reach me? And what am I actually consuming on? And then cybersecurity are the processes, procedures, and technology that you wrap that data around with. So by thinking it um, from that point of view, uh, you can wrap your mind around uh, cybersecurity, at least the concept of cybersecurity. And it's only important because bad guys are trying to get your stuff. So uh, you're trying to deal with people. You're trying to have a relationship between either customers or business partners. And that manifests into creating value. And that value is usually data, some form or fashion. And so in order to have these really healthy and valuable relationships, you have to take care of data. And that means you have to understand cybersecurity. Yeah, so, you know, that's actually a really interesting way of looking at it, and that did clear it up so much more for me. So if we think about it that way, um, what kind of data are we talking about? Like, what, are, what is the important stuff that people are trying to protect? Right, well, let's, let's talk about um, some, some myths, right? So uh, one of the things that a small business or a mid-sized business will say is, I don't have anything important, so why would the bad guys come after me, right? So... Um, it's really interesting what comes out to be important. There's the traditional things that are, uh, you know, healthcare records, uh, personal customer data, social security. Those are the kind of things that most people will think about with as far as data goes. But there's also uh, intellectual property that are trade secrets. 
Um, and you don't even necessarily need to have access to the data. You need to have access to the critical infrastructure. So let's say that you are a company that is partnering with another and you never see their data, but you are connected to their networks. Well, remember data is at rest and in flight and being consumed. So if you can connect to something critical that has data in flight and you never get to see it, it doesn't mean the bad guys can't exploit that connection and do something with it. So put your, put your hat on when you think about data. There's the physical type data, which is healthcare records, PCI kind of credit card information, the kind of stuff you traditionally think. And then think about data in flight, which is something you may never actually get to see, but it passes through your fingers, whether you know it or not, and then data being consumed. You may have uh, great BYOD devices. You, you might have uh, your phone, trusted connections and trusted devices that uh, are doing a lot of different things. And you might not be aware that you actually have that kind of important data on that. Um, so it's a real big challenge for IT professionals, especially as that data being consumed part. Um, yeah. Excellent. You know, that's really fascinating. So, so ultimately, you've, we've got to figure out how do we keep that, that safe in all three of those different components, right? So how do you make data more secure? And well, maybe we should go to how do you even know whether it's secure or not? Yeah, so picture this, you're just starting out. You, are, you've got a, you just signed a huge contract. Everyone's happy. We, we finished way too much champagne the night before. And now you wake up and realize you have to deliver content. And they, they, this nice big contract sends you over this thing with an NDA. And part of it says you need to describe your cybersecurity uh, policies and strategies so that we know you're safe to do business with. And now all of a sudden you regret those champagne bottles because this is hard stuff. You have to be able to communicate. The best way to think about this is you have to understand business processes and how the two different companies are gonna to work together. So it starts with the human relationship. How does the value get created? When you can understand that, you begin to map out what data is moving to and fro and where your connections are, um, critical infrastructure connections. So is your software connecting to their software? Are you getting emails from them with CAD drawings or engineering specs? How are you going to be touching that customer's data or infrastructure? Um, I use something called the Lean Business Canvas. I'm not sure how many folks are, are familiar with that. It's out of, well, out, all over the place now, it seems like. But nine, nine different um, squares that you can fill in that really show out the data, uh, show out the uh, business process for how to accomplish a business model. And by taking that, you can then put it against a framework for cybersecurity compliance. My favorite and the one that our government put together is the NIST Cybersecurity Framework. That's the National Institute of Standard and Technologies. We got a lot of really smart people together. So I'm gonna just dive into that just real quick. The struggle that the small businesses have, and even mid-sized business, is they can't afford a chief security officer. And they can't get a whole staff of really smart security people. So where do you even start? Well, NIST was, uh, uh, commissioned by the White House in 2013 to get all of these really big smart companies together and all these government agencies and say, what are we trying to get done? How can we keep our critical infrastructure safe? It was primarily for utilities and, and things like that. Well, 
the economy became part of the critical infrastructure, I think, in 2014 or 15. And so these standards can be applied to them too. So it's broken into five different categories. And once you can really understand how these categories work, you can apply it back to a business process and a business relationship. So without getting into them too deep, the first one is you have to identify your stuff. The second is you have to know how to protect your stuff. The third is you have to be able to detect if someone's messing with your stuff. The fourth is how do I recover or respond from somebody messing with my stuff? And then how do I recover? Now, when we're not dealing, uh, when I'm dealing with this talk to a closed room, I don't use the word stuff. I use a different S word. It usually gets a laugh. We're not going to do that this time. By looking at all these different uh, pillars, you can then begin to think through, all right, first I got to know thyself. Then I got to know my enemy, who's trying to attack me. And if I know where my stuff is, then I know what I need to start protecting. And that's usually where people stop, where we really fall down, where usually a whole staff of security people are necessary is to be able to detect when someone's messing with what you've got. And then how do I respond after I've been hacked? How, after there's been an event, what do I do? And very interesting, the last two parts, respond and recover, are not IT problems, they're business problems. And this has to be either the business owner or the board of directors or somebody has to take responsibility to say, we've been hacked, who's gonna turn off the web server? Because it's still generating revenue. So should you let a uh, junior level manager decide to take the entire company down in order to stop data from being linked out? Yeah, so this is where it comes into building processes and procedures around the decision-making process of risk. And that's why I tell people cybersecurity is a lot more interesting when you discover that it's actually a human problem and not a technology problem. Mm, that's very, very interesting. So how do you make your company more secure in each of those? Are there some tips that you can provide that mm -hmm. companies can really take a look at and implement and maybe like low-hanging fruit and then the more difficult stuff? Oh, yeah. So um, the first question is, what's your budget, right? And here's the thing. Even a $50,000 budget in an SMB, that's a lot of money. So what you got to learn how to do is to modify what you currently have. And a lot of this is changing human behavior. So education, training of your employees, letting them know, don't click on that, letting them know that we're actually doing something important and this is what that looks like. So take very special care not to send user IDs and passwords and emails. Take very special, so it's a lot of that is the first step is getting the human behavior right. The majority of the hacks that happen nowadays are not because of brute force, really cool hackers from movies typing in neat codes. No, it's because somebody got drunk at a bar and talked too much. Um, these are human behaviors, these are human errors. So starting there is a great thing. Um, but after that, there are a great deal of things that we can do to kind of mitigate the human risk. And uh, uh, I've got a list of about 21 of them that I can send you, that these are all free things you can do to modify your existing networks and some of the things that you're currently working on. And it costs you zero dollars. And the idea is to become invisible on the internet. The uh, Natlet, let's talk a little bit about how the hackers find you. And then we can kind of go back to why it's important to be invisible. 
Well, and, and even what does that mean? Because most of us as companies, you know, my, when you said that, my heart went to, but I'm doing everything I can to be visible. <laughs> yes. Right? So how exactly? So I need you to stop marketing. No more marketing. <laughs> it's a lot of money. It's going to be great. Yeah. yeah. So no, the, the real thing when I say invisible is not to disappear off of social media. It's to take your systems off the internet. So unless you're a Boeing or you're somebody who's really, really obviously uh, a target, the way they find you is a very passive scan. So there are tools. The way I like to say it is um, think of a giant parking lot at a mall. What happens is there's a guy who walks through the parking lot and he's checking for unlocked doors. He's just picking up the handle. And he doesn't bother breaking through the window. Even if he sees there's a nice iPad there, he's like, don't worry about it. I, there is something in this parking lot. Someone left their car unlocked. And so when I say become invisible, what I, I think maybe a, maybe a better way of saying it is just lock your doors. So basic blocking and tackling things that you can do to make it so that as the passive hacker walks by and checks your, your IP address on the internet or your web presence or drives up and tries to scan buildings, you just won't be there. And what's gonna happen is they're gonna move on, they're gonna move on to somebody else who's easier to get to. Um, the downside is, if you picture what my, uh, my story right there, you see one person wandering through a parking lot, but because of data mining and software, it's really, they can deploy this. everybody, every door is checked at once. So it's not a, a, a uh, if you're on the internet, someone has already looked at you. Mm -hmm. So some of the things that you can do are, uh, um, and I don't want to get into too many of the technical things, but I'll, I'll send you the, the, two, um, the two lists. And one of the lists, the first list is what I can do inside of each of these five pillars to uh, reduce the ability of a hacker to just walk in, just locking the doors. The second one is if you have some budget, then you can spend some money on it. But generally what I tell people is don't do things in house. So we all like to do it our own way, but I guarantee you that Google is better at email security than you are. You need to outsource as much of your technology to some kind of SaaS provider and not keep things important on your laptops. Don't keep them on your iPads, keep them stored someplace. Now, a lot of companies are moving this direction just for efficiencies. Everyone's using a Google Drive or Dropbox or Box and they're storing their data someplace else and only consuming them on their, their laptops. And this is probably the best thing I can suggest. Unless you have the business case that says you have to have a very tight control over all of your data, which most of us don't, outsourcing as much as possible to SaaS products is the smartest thing that a, a company can do. So it makes sense, but then you hear that Dropbox was just hacked as well. And so how mm -hmm. exactly does that mean then they would have access to all of that data that you thought you were keeping secure Right, so that's a fantastic point. And one company that's safe one day may not be safe the next day. Mm -hmm. um, Dropbox is probably not the best. I still love to use it, but I use it for pictures and family type stuff. So the things that are not what I would say top secret, maybe they're, mm -hmm. they're critical, but not top secret. I use Google Drive for anything that's customer related. I don't put any of that into Dropbox. So, so you found that Google Drive is most likely going to be more secure than some of the other companies. 
Mm -hmm. So we did our own risk assessments on the various document storage. And also, um, but you know, you might have a listener shaking their head. No, there's all these things that are wrong with Google. And you're absolutely right. There's something wrong with every single one of these. So <laughs> let's put into perspective what our goal here is. Our goal is not to guarantee that no one ever sees your stuff. Our goal is to minimize the damage to your company and to the business relationships. A company that is seen to have done everything reasonably possible to protect its vendors and its customers is going to have less impact during that respond and recover stage than a company who didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, so limiting your liability, one of the things I haven't looked into a whole lot, which might be an interesting thing for uh, a future episode would be cyber insurance. I haven't really spent a whole lot of time looking at that, but the idea is to limit liability and to limit exposure from a damaging experience or a threat that has uh, succeeded. Uh, it's not just about the, the, uh, the cybersecurity technology. That makes sense. So I hear a lot about what is the weakest link and in, in partnerships. And so one is, how do you know whether your partners are secure? And two, how do you know what is the weakest link? Or are there typically commonalities where they're always the weakest link? Uh, that is such a fantastic question because it's such a hard one to answer. There's um, the way that the big companies do it right now is you say, hey, I want to do business with you. They say, fantastic, sign all this documentation and take all these assessments. And they'll send you a spreadsheet. And if you're lucky, there'll only be like 100 questions in there. And they'll ask things such as, how are you approaching asset management? Where are you with compliance on this you know, standard? And they'll ask you a bunch of questions. Then you reply back to it. And then they say, you got it all wrong because what we really meant was this. And it's a three or four month process. It does take a long time. And meanwhile, you're not getting paid. Um, and what's most frustrating is typically you're getting asked the wrong questions because the cybersecurity guys or the corporate risk guys of these larger companies are following their policies and procedures. And it's not a, it's not a one size fit all thing, but they try to make it. So you may not even be touching critical infrastructure and you may not even be looking at their data, but because in your RFP response, you use the word cloud on accident, it triggered the policy. And now you have to go through all this stuff. So I kind of wandered there a little bit. Um, that's just a very painful experience, but uh, to come back. Well, what about for a smaller company? So someone that isn't, so we have a bunch of vendors that we work with. We use a lot of um, software because we don't build our own um, shopping cart or we don't build our own email system or we don't, you know, lots and lots of things like that. But I have no idea if, I mean, are there some things that I can, Good questions to ask. Are there things I can be more aware of? Yeah, so in order to not go down a rabbit hole of sending a lot of documentation to each other that no one reads, you should start by asking, what are you doing with the data that passes through your system that comes from me? And what steps are you taking to make sure that it is compliant with the NIST cybersecurity maturity model? It makes you sound really smart, even if you have no idea. <laughs> well, you know, right after this call, I'm actually going to go check that out because right. 
fascinated with those. Yeah, and they should be prepared to respond. You should be able to ask what, um, if you step in and say, what, I need to know what industry standards that you're compliant with. I want to know, have you had a third party audit? And this is particularly useful for online companies or software companies. So for professional services or things like that, maybe not quite as stringent, but you still need to do the same kind of due diligence that the large enterprise do. It's just you can be smarter about it because you know how the whole system works. So ask questions about what are you doing with my data and what are you doing as far as the NIST cybersecurity maturity model goes. And at the very least, the fact that you act, you ask those questions and you have some kind of track record should limit the liability if anything goes wrong. You can then show, hey, I did what I could do to try to make sure that these people um, are handling your data in the right way. Mm, that's wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about the international component. So there are specific best practices or maybe even regulations, I'm assuming regulations for companies that want to do business with businesses here in the US and vice versa. There are companies that want to do business with the EU and Asia and how does cybersecurity play in that? Are there specific guidelines that you need to follow? You know, maybe we can touch on some of those things. The different states, unfortunately, uh, have their own processes, policies, and procedures that have to be enforced. And they're usually for very good reasons. Uh, there's different uh, people all throughout the world, and so they care about things a little bit differently. So Europe, in particular, has very strong personal rights around how you can use their identities and how you can use the personal data. Where in the US, we are a little bit more lax on that, but we are more focused on compliance and business-driven security risks. So you can be very, very compliant for all of the Sarbanes-Oxley and PCI and even to some, estate, uh, uh, some extent HIPAA in the US and go to Europe and be completely exposed about how you handle people's personal data. A lot of this comes uh, in the form of how do you respond to an event. Uh, Europe is very focused on quick response and notification of a breach. Um, one of the problems that uh, the EU is going to have is it's not just a company that's been hacked has to report. It's anywhere in the supply chain. So let's pretend you're a automobile manufacturer and you outsource your smart steering wheel to one company and they have a supplier and it goes all the way down. And then somebody who creates a microchip that goes into the smart steering wheel, five or six vendors down the supply chain gets breached. That automobile manufacturer has to report the breach, not just that one that's five or six down. And so how are we going to communicate up and down the supply chain about cybersecurity? But that's what EU is trying to do with their new directive, is to force that kind of thing into place. So if I'm an American company, or I'm a company that's not um, inside of the EU, and I'm trying to do business, but I don't understand that I have a reporting responsibility, and then something goes wrong, that could be a company ending event, or at least a brand uh, ending event for me inside of the EU. And in some cases, uh, and I think this will probably happen closer to 2017, 2018, you won't even be allowed to play the game if you can't communicate to them that you have the ability to respond to cybersecurity threats and report them in the, in the way that follows policy. So that would mean that companies really, right now is the time to prepare, right? They need to make sure that they, one, can detect it and to understand this and 
or you can report it and do so in a way that's meaningful for these other companies, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Very interesting. And I'm assuming this applies to any size company or does it only apply to larger companies? Um, the larger companies feel the pain and they push it down to all the smaller companies. So this applies to any company that touches particular um, uh, kinds of data or in particular industries. Uh, for example, I know in EU, it's uh, the drinking, drinking water is a big thing. And so if you have a company that is anywhere close to the supply chain for drinking water, you have to be able to respond and be a part of this ecosystem of trust. Very interesting. Okay. Um, anything specific? What about Asia? Is there anything specific that's, that is unique or are they pretty much following similar processes? Uh, honestly, the, I don't have a whole lot of experience with Asia. It's primarily Europe and uh, North America. Um, but there is a lot of uh, distrust between the nation states. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll have America saying, hey, China, you're, check, you're uh, hacking me. And then China says, yeah, we are because you're hacking us. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. So when you are traveling abroad and when you're going to an Asian state or you're going to even uh, America, <laughs> if you're coming here, uh, just be very careful what information you're bringing with you and being careful with that whole, how is my data being consumed? because that's where your highest risk is. It's not in the servers back home, it's in the data that's coming to the devices in the country that you're in. So let's talk about something a little on the fun side. This is very serious and it's very overwhelming and amazing, but what are some of the most uh, trendy scams that you're hearing about right now? Well, this isn't fun, this is gonna be sad. because. <laughs> But you know what, we'll go that route anyway. So there's a, uh, there's a huge, the number one way that people um, are getting taken advantage of right now is through phishing attacks. So a phishing attack is when somebody sends you an email that looks very legit. So I do uh, banking with Wachovia and I would, uh, someone would find out either through a Facebook post, it's like, yay, Wachovia, you're so great, you're my favorite. And now all of a sudden, the the software that is scanning Facebook sees Adam Anderson does business at Wachovia. And then it does a whole lot of different combinations to my email address, adam.anderson, Adam Anderson. And of course it tries Gmail, because Gmail, Yahoo, Hotmail, all the basics. Fabricates an email that looks like it's a Wachovia, I'm sorry, Wells Fargo um, email that uh, I would expect to get. And it says there's something wrong with my account please click here in order to address it. And then I would click there. And as soon as I click there, a lot of malware gets installed on my computer. Okay, well, let's just breeze by that because the real damage is about to happen. I go to what looks like the real Wells Fargo uh, login screen and I just sign in and it says error, couldn't get it, call customer support. But by that time, I just gave my username and password to my online banking account to the hackers. So sad. Really smart though. Yeah, it really is smart. I mean, there's, there's a, if only people could use their powers for good. Um, so there's, you know, going back to that malware stuff that got installed on the computer. So just by clicking on that, that, um, that link, it's trying to collect data from me, uh, the username and password. But let's pretend I was in a hospital system and that exact same email came through and I'm on my work laptop and there's a big sticky note 
or a sign that says do not access personal information from here but i'm like i'm going to do what i want i'm going to i'm going to sure, because it's urgent and you feel like it's an emergency right. someone's cleaning exactly. out your bank account right i got to get this done well now i've installed uh, malware on my work laptop the, there's a rash of uh, ransomware happening right now. And ransomware is where something encrypts important data, and in order to decrypt it, you have to pay um, the hackers a ransom. A lot of hospitals have been, in the last year, uh, have their electronic medical health records being encrypted. So when you get to the ER, they can't admit you. When they, are you trying to actually get treatment they can't look up your medical history. They don't know what you're allergic to anymore. They literally are holding people hostage by locking down the, uh, the systems. And they have started pretty small to just get people to pay, but they're getting into the millions and millions now. So, um, so they're actually paying because otherwise they can't get it back. That's right. And of course, you know, hackers know this and it's a very lucrative business, right? Yep. And so you think, well, I can trace the money. Well, the problem is, is that with cryptocurrencies and like uh, Bitcoin and things like that, what they do is they get paid into, uh, they get these ransoms paid in cryptocurrencies. And then they go out onto the dark web or the deep web, um, which is, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. You have the internet and then you have the dark net. And the dark net is over 600 times larger than the internet. And this is where a lot of the illegal stuff happens. And so you're sending it out to there. And, and by the way, the majority of people on the planet have no idea how to connect to this. You can't get it through Internet Explorer or Chrome. You have to have a very special browser that can decrypt the stuff. So you, you send your payment and it enters into a money laundering Bitcoin Tumblr where nobody can trace what Bitcoin came from where and it gets sent back out again. So it is amazingly elegant, this, uh, this system that's been put together to run this black market. And you know, if you're a student of economics, it's worthy to go and take a look at this. Um, however, it's quite terrifying because governments all over the world are trying to shut this stuff down and they, they just can't keep up. Yeah, mm. I mean, it kind of goes right back. Well, one is I wanted to ask how, often are we seeing things like this? Because it's not really being reported that there are all these hostage blackmail situations, right? We do hear about breaches and things like that, but how significant is this? I imagine it's a growing challenge, but. Well, it's been going on for, uh, this isn't anything new. Uh, mm -hmm. The FBI has been dealing with this for going on over 20 years. This is, right. this is a, uh, just new players with new strategies using um, old tactics or new tactics and old strategies. So the key but, really does keep coming back to, I'm sure that there are really technical solutions, but the biggest solution is human behavior, right? So we're kind of taking, kind of coming full circle again on mm -hmm. truly monitoring human and teaching and training and what sort of training do you recommend? I'm assuming you have to train both the every employee, but then especially the senior executives that are more visible because they're probably yeah. more likely to be hacked since you know who they are. Exactly. So the first step is you don't want to train them to do the wrong thing. So before you get into training, you have to have policies set up. What are you okay with and how are you going to do what you do? After you do that, you're able to then train your employees on that particular thing. So I'll give you an example. 
don't access Facebook from your work laptop. Okay, a majority of businesses, that would cause some mutiny right now. So if you know that that is going to be something that they're going to do, how are you going to mitigate the, uh, the fallout for that? Okay, you can access Facebook, but we're not gonna let you get to your banking app. We're gonna access Facebook, but you can't get uh, access to your personal email. It's give and take. But typically, it's not the personal emails that are a problem, it's the, uh, it's the work emails. So it then comes into, we've set up policies to keep people safe, and now we need to train them inside of the policies where there's wiggle room. So you get this email, how do you actually um, learn to detect a false email? They're very, very good, but they're really easy to pick out. And I don't know if it's because I've seen thousands of them, uh, but immediately when they come in, you can start, you can absolutely tell what they are. So there's Do you have any tips on that? Are there some things that we could read or any resources yeah. to get information on? Because that's really interesting because I'm not sure that I would know. I hope I would know, but. Well, there's the, 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 the very basic ones where the, the Prince of Nigeria needs help with his $50 million. Okay. So they're all some form of that. If you get an email from anything and you think that it is, um, kind of why would it come in here? I never gave this email address out to that company. Why would they be sending me this? Start processing where are the emails coming from, and then that'll be your first warning sign. Uh, check for grammar. Mm -hmm. the, if, you, if you are very good at grammar, the, the other guys aren't. They, they're getting better, and, and things are getting more mature, but grammar is a big thing. Uh, spacing is a big thing. Um, and nobody, no company on this planet will send you an email asking you to take action immediately. If that happens, it's better to not take action, to leave that email and go directly to uh, a human being uh, or, or going to the actual web portal that you know and trust. So if we use the Wells Fargo example, if you look at the URL and you, you put your mouse over it and it says W-E-L-S period L, Fargo, changing the names in the URLs, not having them be completely legit. So that's a way of doing it. And there's a really cool piece of software called, uh, is it FishMe? I'd have to look it up. But there are software out there that you can install that will send phishing emails to your employees, trying to get them to click on it. And if they do, they send them to, it sends them to a three-minute training video. And you just clicked on a false email. Here's the things to look for. It's super annoying. And actually, uh, it, you're talking about uh, executives. So a $10 billion revenue company in North America, the CEO thought that this was just not good. So this is stupid. There's no reason for to do this. Why should we spend the money? This is annoying. Okay, two weeks later, he clicked on the email and got the training. And he came back down. And he said, this is completely the best thing ever. I'm so sorry. So it is, uh, it, you're right, the executive management staff, the people who really are the targets, are typically the ones who wanted to participate in the training the least. So finding something, such as this FishMe product or um, something that happens over and over and over again, because the thing that we all know doesn't work is let's set everybody down for two days worth of cybersecurity training and never come back to it. Don't even waste your time. If you're going to do that, uh, it'd be better to spend the money on maybe like bringing a clown in or something and just don't even talk about it. Because if you don't have a recurring 
training program or a way to reinforce things over time, um, you're, you're out of luck. Uh, and another interesting tactic was uh, one of my friends, he had a bunch of project managers and anyone who worked on a project, he made them go get their certified ethical hackers uh, certification. So by taking non-security people and having them go get security certifications, they would never be hackers. They would never actually use the stuff that they've learned. But by going through the training, they were now educated to the point where they wouldn't do the bad behaviors. So that's a little bit more extreme. Mm -hmm. I think that like cost 5,000 per employee. So probably not the most economic way where the fish me type apps are very, very cheap in comparison. Um, so yeah, reinforcement over time is the number one most important thing and setting the correct policies up front so that you're not wasting your time and you're actually training the right things. Mm, great advice. Is there anything that I should ask you that I haven't asked yet? Yeah, um, I'm a Virgo. Um, <laughs> you, you were supposed to ask me where, what's the URL to buy my book online. Or... Well, that's what I'm going to have you share on resources. So, are, yeah, yeah. There, are there some really great resources? Obviously, yeah, I think the so. book would be something that they should take a look at. But yeah. um, there, there are some really... Oh, go ahead. Now, what do you read? What do you consume? What do you think would be really great to get? Just more familiar. Um, so I, I, uh, I typically listen to podcasts mostly. That's where I do a lot of my, it turns out if you write it down in a book and it's uh, about cybersecurity, um, it's probably outdated, including mine. Um, the, uh, the appendix in the back has your top 20 things to do. And I would say go Google the latest version because anything that's written down. So I, I really do like podcasts. Um, Stanford has some good stuff. A lot of the universities are doing some really cool stuff with cybersecurity. Clemson University uh, in particular is doing some interesting things. Um, but as far as business value add, I don't see a lot of resources out there that are readily available to help us uh, learn how to do cybersecurity better for a SMB type market. Well, that's a wonderful opportunity, right? It seems like, uh, you know, I'm, we'll pay attention to what Atlas Vault is doing and see how we can um, just become more educated and figure out how to make this better. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a huge motion. These resources are coming out. Everybody in the, the country is trying to produce um, education. The problem is uh, you can waste an awful lot of time going through that and you really need to have a trusted resource that can tell you, uh, kind of help you get through the weeds because not all cybersecurity education is applicable for every single company. So just be very cheesy with what you spend your time on. Great advice. So Adam, I want to thank you so very much for coming and everyone, we're going to put Adam's resources that we had talked about. He had some tips that he was going to provide to us as well as link to his book on the Globig platform. And we also will have a section on cybersecurity, again, giving you access to Adam's resources and his information there. So stay tuned for another Go Global, Go Big podcast powered by Globig. And we will talk to you soon. Thank you, everyone.